0: Everyone, it's so joyful to be able to go out at the crowd here and to see your faces for those of you who are online with us We're glad that you're here with us as well Listen, if you are visiting with us this morning we want you to know that you are certainly a welcome guest and that we are thankful that you have Uh, come our way and spent these moments of worshiping God together with us. We hope that it's been a blessing to you. This is really a treat for us as a congregation. We've been doing this now for a number of weeks, but nevertheless, it's just good to see everyone and be able to hear the buzz before the services begin and then to listen to you all sing with your hearts to our Lord. It's it's so special. Uh, Springtime is here. I mean, it's so nice outside. Yesterday, Lori and I spent the day trying to dig out a tree out of our front yard and that was really a fun thing to do not Uh, But it's it's just beautiful outside. I think the day is supposed to be in like in the 70s That's incredible And the water's in the canals and the ducks are starting to fly into the backyard and quail and all kinds of birds I'm looking forward to the hummingbirds uh, Showing up, but it's just a wonderful time of the year You know everything is in the ground the grass is starting to turn gray flowers are popping up It's just a wonderful thing and the only thing better than that is to know that God loves us And that he's created all these things for us to enjoy, to make our lives abundant in the material things of life, but certainly in the spiritual things. And that, of course, is what we're interested in here this morning. As you think about just the world itself, heroes are so important, aren't they? It's important that we have heroes, and when I'm talking about heroes, I'm not talking about Batman and Spider-Man and Iron Man and Captain America and all those other guys. Uh, Those are not reality. Those are all fictional characters of maybe people we maybe would like to be or see uh, happen in our world, but they're really just a fictitional mind that has come up with these, these characters. But your Bible is full with amazing men and women who are great heroes of the Bible, Just kind of look at that and know that we're going to have a a fair here on May the the 2nd. Anyway, so great heroes of of the Bible. And when you talk about the heroes of the Bible, they're not fictitional. They are real human beings who lived in history. And your Bible is a history book, and it records the things that they did in their lives. They are incredible individuals. Automatically, when you think about heroes of the Bible, you almost always go to Hebrews the chapter, what is called the, the Hall of Faith. Others would talk about this same chapter and say, well, the Hall of Faith is a good title for it, but it could also be the Heroes Hall of Faith, and both would fit in so well. Because when there, whatever title you look at, there is one thing that has they all have in common, and that is this word, faith. Faith is so important when you talk about the heroes of the Scripture. Even when you talk about your life, faith is so important. In fact, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, the word faith is used like 23 times. And it's always connected to individual or to individuals who have done something extraordinary. They weren't really special people in, in terms of abilities and talents. They were people who were willing to step out on faith and do amazing things. So when you talk about the heroes of the Bible, there are men and women of faith who did extraordinary, incredible things. And that's true of the story of Abram that was read to us, or that we talked about, or was read to us just a few moments ago out of Genesis, the 12th chapter. But I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, for a portion of the sermon. And I want you to see something that was written there because, like we said, this is called the Heroes Hall of Faith. And you learn about some incredible things, and especially Abram or Abraham as most of us know him by. Listen to what it says concerning this incredible man beginning in verse around verse uh, 7 or verse, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was not to, which he out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived in an alien land of promise as a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he is looking for a city which has its foundations, whose architect and builder is, is God. Abraham becomes a, a prominent figure in the scriptures when you talk about any kind of, of hero. Notice it says that he went out by faith. Well, what was his faith in? Why was it that... That Abraham believed in? And the answer to that question is, is that he believed in God. Well, you might be sitting there thinking to yourself, well, that's so obvious, Richard. We all know that. But when you think about his circumstances and what was going on in his life and in his day, for him to believe in God was really a step. It was a huge step for him. He was born probably in Chaldea in Ur of the Chaldees most likely later on he would move up to Haran with his father Terah but Joshua the 24th chapter verse 2 tells us something about Terah and that is is Terah was an idol worshiper Chaldea was a place of idol worship but it says of Abraham that he believed in God and that it was counted to him as righteousness over in Galatians the 3rd chapter So it's amazing that Abraham did not follow the footsteps of his father as so many young men do. He went out on his own and he believed in the God that is revealed to you in the Bible and not into the idols of the world in which he lived. So it's an incredible thing when you think about that kind of belief. What I'm saying to you is that when you talk about the heroes of the Bible, whether you're talking about Abraham or whether you're talking about Sarah or whether you're talking about Adam and Eve or Noah or Enoch, all these were people of faith. And their faith was not based on their abilities or their their talents or their power or their wealth. It was all about them being believers in God and having faith in God. That word faith and that word belief really are synonymous terms. They come from the same word, Greek word, pistuo and these people were those who really did sell out in faith in every way. So here's my question for you this morning, and it's this. Do you believe in God? Do you believe in God? I'm not talking, do you just mentally assent to God, but do you really believe in God? That you believe in God so much that you would be willing to deny yourself. That you'd be willing to leave this life behind and go to the next. That you'd be willing to live where you are, what you have been doing, your former life, and then to move on. Well, that's what we're going to learn about Abram, and that's what sets him apart. Is that he had such a strong faith in God that he was willing to deny himself of a lot of things now God made him a lot of promises that probably motivated him But before that happened, he was a man who believed in God. So do you believe in God? No, do you really believe in God? Let me share with you a young person. His name is Danny Dutton Danny Dutton is an eight-year-old. He's a third grader And he had an assignment that was given to him as homework to explain God. And it's interesting what he says about God. Listen to his words. This is just part of it. One of God's main jobs is making people. He makes them to replace the ones that die. So that there will be enough people to take care of things on earth. He doesn't make grown-ups, just babies. And I think that's because they are smaller and easier to make. That way... He doesn't have to take up his valuable time teaching them to talk and walk. He just leaves that to mothers and fathers. God sees everything and hears everything and is everywhere, which keeps him pretty busy. So you shouldn't waste your time by going over your mom and dad's head, asking for something they said you couldn't have. You should always go to church on Sundays because it makes God happy. And if there's anyone, anybody you want to make happy, it's God. You don't, if you don't believe in God, you'll be very lonely because your parents can't go everywhere with you like the camp, but God can. It's good to know that he's around when you're scared in the dark or when you can't swim very good and you get thrown into the real deep water by the big kids. And you shouldn't just always think of God so that you can get something from him. I figure God put me here and that he can take me back anytime he pleases. And that's why I believe in God it seems so simple doesn't it and yet when you think about it it's such a profound thing now Danny doesn't went on to say a lot of other things but you get his idea Danny believes in God he believes in the God who makes people he knows that we are made after God's image and that we are precious and special to God because of that he believes in a God who listens to people who is nearby when you're frightened and when you're lonely. He believes in a God that cares about us. That's so incredible coming from such a young mind that he would uh, meet that kind of vision or that belief in what God is and and who God is in his life. Well, a number of years ago, Baylor University, they sponsored a survey by Gallup uh, organization, and it was, a, it was a, a, um, a poll that talked about the values or surveyed the values and beliefs of the American public, certainly in their belief of God. And here's what they found. They found that half of those interviewed in America saw God as an angry, critical being who is just waiting to punish people. Others visualized him as remote, not really interested what is, in what is happening to us. And I got to thinking to myself, what you don't see in the poll was that they didn't ask questions about like, why do you believe that? I mean, where did you get your information that God is a critical God, that God is an angry God, that God is just waiting to punish people, that he's remote, that he really doesn't care about what's going on in your life? Where did they get that? Did they read their Bibles? Did they read it from cover to cover? Or did they maybe just cherry pick a few items out of that? Or, or was it that they heard some preacher? Uh, preach the Bible, or some teacher of the Bible, or maybe they had been watching Christians around them, and they came to this critical view of what God really is about. It's interesting, this fellow here, Pierre Simon Laplace, he said these, Do you believe in God? I have no need for that hypothesis. He may be around, though. Well, he may be a lot around than he thinks he is. He's a 19th century mathematician and physicist, also astronomer of his time. But you see that he's got questions about God. What was going on in his life that make him almost dismiss God completely, although possibly he exists? So a half of the people in the United States have those views about God. The good news is in the same survey as they found that a fourth of Americans think that God is a benevolent, a caring father who wants a relationship with us. Where do they get their information from? How do they decide that God is this benevolent, caring, loving God? Did they get it you know, from reading their Bibles from cover to cover? Did they get it by listening to a preacher? Did they get it from a Bible class teacher? Did they watch Christians around them and they saw people who live in grace and live in love with one another and with the God of heaven? In other words, they believe in a God who listens to them, who cares about them, who is nearby when they are frightened or lonely. That's Danny Dutton. Uh, he, that's his belief in in god and so that really is what the bible is about and that's what the bible really reveals about god it reveals a god who loves us so much we are created after his image he loves us so much he listens to us he cares about what's going on in our lives and when we are frightened and when we're lonely he promises to be there for us and that really is a story of abraham abraham believed in god or had faith that he would leave a, a, a land that he is familiar with and leave it behind and go to a land that the Bible says he knew nothing about, a foreign land that he would dwell in. And you're talking about a long trip, man. I mean, you're talking about several, you know, a, over a thousand miles going for, from Haran through the normal route down through Palestine, coming down to the land of Cana and Beersheba, and then going down to Egypt and then back up to Beersheba once again, which is really in a really a huge desert, a big desert. But he dwelled there, and he dwelled there out of faith because God made him promises. When you talk about faith, it's impossible to please God without it. Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so, if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus promises us, If we want to go beyond where we are right now as we are, to greater heights into greater places, then our faith is super important to us as followers of Jesus. So let me share with you the story of Abraham and God. It's pretty hard to do that because the story of Abraham and God is about this incredible relationship that he has with God. There is really nothing special about Abraham the naked eye can see, or that maybe you and I as humans can see, but there was something special about Abraham that God was able to see in this, this man. Look at Genesis, the 12th chapter, once again, if you would, please. Genesis, the 12th chapter that Michael so well read for us just a few moments ago. There it says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, we know him best as Abraham, right? Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to a land which I will show you, And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham becomes so important to the story of of faith. And the reason why Abraham is so important to the story of faith in the Old Testament is because he began the promises to the people of Israel. He is a Hebrew who is called out by God and from his loins will come the children of Israel and from his loins will come your salvation and our salvation. In fact, the salvation of even those in his present day. The reason Abraham is so important in the New Testament to both you and me is because God fulfilled his promises to Abraham. And that through his life and through his loins would come a savior, would come a seed. That's Jesus Christ through which the whole world would be blessed. And so because of him, Paul reminds the Galatians and us that those who are baptized into Christ are clothed with Christ. I believe clothed with Christ's righteousness because we're washed by his blood. And there it says in verse 29, and we become the heirs of Abraham according to promise. So Abraham has this incredible relationship with God, a unique relationship with God. The question is, is, is why? Because when you look at Abraham, Abraham really wasn't what you would call a good leader. Uh, Abraham didn't have any followers or disciples. Uh, He didn't write any books that we know of. He wasn't a great teacher, a politician, he wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a, a man of great accomplishment or renown or, or powerful. In fact, what we know of Abraham at the beginning is is that when he's called, he's a fairly older man. He's like seventy-five years old. I guess in those days that wouldn't be old, but for us, that's pretty. That's getting up there a little bit. So he's you know he's a he's a moderate success as a herdsman. He's a Bedouin type guy, uh, but when you look at this guy. God does incredible things with him. Remember I said to you that a person of faith isn't about talent, or heroes of faith are not about talent. It's not about ability. It's not about power or fame or any uh, any of those things. In fact, what I believe is that the real claim to Abraham was that he believed in God. And because he believed in God, God chose him and made special promises to him that we read just a few moments ago. So When you talk about the promises of Abraham, what were they? Well, he says, I'll make you a a great nation and I will bless you. Think about that. He lives in Haran. He's a herdsman. And God says, I want you to go to a land that you don't know anything about. But if you go, if you will be obedient, then I'll make you a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. and And it will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples will be blessed through you. That's talking about us. All the peoples would be blessed because of Abraham. And then in verse 7, God added, To your offspring, I will give this this land. So it's an incredible set of promises that he offers to Abraham. But the promises are not just Abraham's. They're both yours. And they are mine because we are the people of that nation. We are those who inherited the promise of Abraham and that seed and that Jesus who would come on the scene. So God is telling Abraham, I want a relationship with you. I'll be with you. I'll listen to you. I'll walk beside you that I will be there when you get lonely. And when you when life is frightening, I'm going to be there for you. And more than that. God was promising to make Abraham such a great man that he would not only affect the lives of his descendants, but the entire world. That's incredible when you think about it. Remember I said to you that he was probably just a moderate success as a herdsman? He leaves Haran. He goes over the top of the north route, comes down through Palestine. He gets down to the promised land, and the Bible says that there's a famine in the land, so he goes on south to Egypt. Runs into some problems there, but when he leaves Egypt, guess what he leaves Egypt as? A rich man. He has herds. He is given wealth by Pharaoh there because of an incident that happens there. But providentially, I believe that's part of him becoming a great man and a great nation. When he comes back to Beersheba to the north, to that, you know, that desert land, He is a foreigner in a land of people who don't believe in God. They're Canaanites. Abraham is there, and he sojourns in that land. And God says, here are the promises, and now I'm going to make those promises come true. And he is with Abraham throughout his entire life. So here's a question. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did he choose him? Did he choose him because of his talents? Did he choose him because of his leadership skills, his abilities? Did he choose him because he was a charismatic man, a handsome man, or any of those things? And the answer to that is no. He didn't choose him for any of those things. The only reason that makes any sense is that God saw what was in Abraham's heart. He saw a potential that was there. And when he looks at you, and when he looks at me, he sees the exact same thing. He sees our hearts. Remember when David was chosen, he's the youngest in his family? He's not even a full-grown man yet. And yet God chooses him and tells Samuel, you need to choose that man. That doesn't make sense. What about his brothers? They're warriors. And God just says to him, listen, man looks out the outward part of what man is about, but God looks at the heart. He looks at your heart. And he looks at my heart, and he sees things there that maybe we ourselves can't even see, but it's an incredible thing. I love this passage of Scripture. Uh, I have lots of favorites, but this is one of my favorites out of the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11. Yet God has made everything beautiful in its own time. But listen to this next part. He has planted eternity in the human heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to to end. So what is he saying? What does that mean? How does that make sense that he has planted eternity in our hearts? I believe that God is talking about inside each of our hearts is a God-shaped hole that only he can fill. We are hardwired that way. We are created in God's image. And at some point in our lives, we're going to strive to fill that hole. God has put that hole there that we might pursue him. Some will neglect it. Some will reject it. Few will pursue it, but that hole is there. And at some point in our lives, we're going to try to fill it up. So he's placed inside uh, people a hunger that only he can satisfy. Only he's able to do it. But God. Leads it up to us what we're going to fill it with And people fill these holes up with all kinds of things We'll try to fill them up with wealth or material things. We'll try to fill it up with with power We will try to pull up, fill it up with with fame We'll try to fill it up with the things that we crave after or things that we desire And we think that when we fill that hole with those things there, we're going to be super happy People only to find out that we're not happy at all In fact, that's why I believe there's so many people who are dissatisfied in the world around us today because they fill them with the wrong things. If you're wondering why we're having some of the difficult times that we're going through as a country, if you wonder why people can walk into a FedEx or any other place and just shoot people down, if you're wondering why people will tear things up and, and destroy things, why is it that they're doing it? I can tell you because there's a hole within them that they filled up, and they filled it up with anger, and they filled it up with frustration, and they filled it up with discontentment. They filled it up with despair. They filled it up with a hopelessness that if they hurt so bad, why not make everyone else hurt around them? Why not up the ante? If you're wondering what's happening to our world, I'll tell you, we have you know, ejected God out of society, and now we're reaping the benefits of that ejection. The way back to peace prosperity is through God himself. And that's what God says in Isaiah, the 55th chapter, verses 1 through 3. Listen to what Isaiah said. I mean, this thing is prophetic. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters and you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not, on that which does not satisfy? Isn't that what we're just talking about, that God-shaped hole that we try to buy and fill it up with things? And God says, don't you know that that will not bring satisfaction to your life? What brings satisfaction to your life is when you fill it up with God and his standards and his goodness. God can be critical. God can punish But the thing about God is that he is a God of love and a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God that cares for people even more so than anyone can possibly imagine. So filling that hole with the right things is is so important. And that's what happened to Abraham. There was a hunger within him that only God could fulfill. There was a need for a relationship that only God could supply. Thus, when God approached Abraham, Abraham was ready to make a decision. He lived in a world that was without God. He made a decision to follow God wherever God would lead him or wanted him to go. So Abraham believed in God. And so God called Abraham. And Abraham, he obeys. Abraham simply packed up his tent and left. There is no argument, no excuses. God says, go, and Abraham went. He got with it, and he, he went. Well, all people of the Bible do that. No, they don't. I mean, I mean, all I had to do is go down through some of the characters of the Bible, and you'll see, God says, go here, and they went there. They went the opposite direction. Take Moses. Moses is the great lawgiver. An incredible man in fact of Abraham he says he was a great man of faith and that no one had faith like like Moses did but and when you get to the beginning in Exodus the third chapter the first part of that uh, Moses you know he has fled for his life because he killed a man in Egypt he's fled to Midian he's been there for almost 40 years or so and and in that time he's out in the wilderness and he is shepherding his his flock and he sees a bush that's not being consumed by fire, and he goes up to it, and God calls out to him, and God's message to, Abraham, to Moses was, I want you to go to Egypt. I've heard the cry of my people there. They're in slavery. I've heard their cry, and I want you to go to them, and you're to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Well, guess what Abraham, uh, I keep saying Abraham, guess what Moses' response was? Well, Moses asked, Who am I to do this? Or, what if they won't listen to me? Who should I say sent me? I can't talk well enough. I'm dull of speech. I'm not an eloquent guy. And then probably his biggest one, he finally gets down to it and says, I don't want to go. Send someone else. And then we find out in verse 14 that God becomes angry with Moses. And every time that Moses makes an excuse, God counters it. Moses says this. God says, I'll do that. I can't speak well. I'm not an eloquent man. Don't worry about it. You have Abraham or you have your, your brother Aaron. He is a good speaker. You tell him he'll speak to the people. So in every case, when Moses comes up with an excuse, well, God just takes it out of the way, leaving him no excuse and, you know, That's how Moses responded. Now, I know that later on, Moses is going to get with a program, and he's going to become the great lawgiver, an incredible hero of the Bible. We know that. But he didn't start out that way. He started out by pushing back because he didn't want to leave where he was. On the other hand, you have Abraham. Abraham, he simply packed up his tip. Abraham doesn't argue. He didn't question. He didn't offer excuse. God says, go. Abraham went. That simple. And that hard. So when you think about that, I got to thinking about, okay, so why does God spend all this time with Abraham? Do you know, if you look at this, the story of Abraham in Genesis, do you know that he takes up like a fourth of that, that book? Like a fourth. If you took other great men and women of faith, if you take, say, if you take Adam and Eve, the, the first man and woman, and places them in a beautiful garden, and then you have Enoch, who walks with God for over 300 years, and he doesn't taste death because he walked with God, and God took him to see death. And then you have Noah, who is the, you know, in his family, which are the ones who survived the flood. If you take all three of those and put them together, they, they make up about half of what they say about what the Bible says about Abraham. Why is that? Well, I think the reason is is because God is getting ready to do something different with Abraham that he's never done with anyone else and that is he makes a covenant with Abraham an agreement with Abraham and he makes him promises and his covenant with Abraham is is that I'll make you a great nation. But more than that, I'll make sure that all peoples are blessed because of you, which means Jesus is going to come on the scene and Jesus is going to die on the cross for your sins. And we're going to have a route now to heaven itself because of Abraham. And I think that God wants us to realize that. I think God wants us to realize what blessings we have and what he's trying to do through us. God wants us to realize that he loves us and wants a relationship with us. Now, some of you, in fact, all of you have refrigerators, right? If I were to go into some of your houses, I would bet I would find a refrigerator something like this. On your refrigerator you'll have pictures of your children you'll have pictures of your grandchildren some of you may have pictures of your great-grandchildren you'll have pictures of people on that refrigerator that are precious to you are dear to you if they are your children or your grandchildren then they're really precious because the chances are that some of them may even look a little bit like you they're after your image and so you love them, and you'd almost do anything for them. I was sitting behind Michaela and, and little Cooper there, and as we were worshiping, and I kept looking over at Tamara. And Tamara, she couldn't focus on worship real well because she's like all grandmothers. They keep going, well, she did really good worshiping, but I'm just kind of messing with her a little bit. But she kept doing this. Grandbabies are like watching a... a campfire you just can't keep your eyes off the little guys or little gals that's how God sees us so imagine now a great refrigerator in heaven and on that picture on that refrigerator is your picture and my picture and it's there because you can't imagine how much God loves you when he sees you he sees his image You're created after his image. And that means you're special to you. And so like Danny Dutton said, well, you know, God cares for us. God's there for you when you're lonely or when you're frightened. We're precious to God. That little eight-year-old boy got it. He understood that. Then God tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through uh, you. God wants to bless you. And he wants to bless others through you god wants to bless your children your grandchildren your co-workers your neighbors he wants to bless people through you in incredible ways and i think that's why jesus said to us that we could have a great influence on the world around us when he says you are the light of the world let your light so shine that people may see your good works and glorify your father who is in heaven shine out christians or Galatians five and verse twenty-two, which is the fruit of the spirit: love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and so on. Those are characteristics that the the spirit is made up of, and when they become us, people see that. And like walking through a a you know a a fruit uh, a fruit stand of of trees, where there's apples, or where there are oranges, or where there are pears or peaches or whatever's there. We go through there and we pick of them because they are sweet. When we bear fruit in our lives, make no mistake about that, people see that. And we touch other people's life. God wants us to realize that not only will he bless us, but he wants to bless others through us. And God wants us to realize that we too have a decision to make. And you know, when God spoke to Abram, he tells him, "Abraham, I want you to get up and to go from this country from your father's house and your relatives. And I want you to go to a country that you don't know anything about, but here's the blessings. I can't give these blessings to you, Abraham, unless you're willing to make a decision. Are you really to make a decision, Abraham? You're going to leave where you are that's comfortable. We're going to live everything that you're familiar with. We're going to leave it behind. You're going to leave this life behind that you've been used to but your life is going to be incredible. And it was. And that's what he places before us this morning, that we have to realize that we too have to make a decision. The decision really is ours. Do you believe in in God? Family, being a hero of faith, it's not about ability. It's not about your talent, your wealth. It's about you believing in, In God and so as I close just let me ask you do you believe in God? More than that Do you really believe in God if God were to ask you to give something up? That you hold so dear to you that maybe it's not good for you. Will you would you give it up? If something is in your way, would you give it up if something is between you and the road to heaven? would you leave it behind that's a decision that we make, and we base it off of faith that causes us to become heroes of faith. And once you make the right decision this morning, whatever it is, while together we stand and sing and give you opportunity to respond.